This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peaslip stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, September 12th, 2023 edition, and I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited to help you today become, to become a better investor. And I'm going to give you some actionable material, some educational material, and really just help you take that next step. Uh, This is a day-by-day process. This isn't something you're going to learn overnight. You're not going to read one article or one Instagram post or uh, one clickbait blog post or anything like that that's going to give you the holy grail. This isn't a holy grail. This isn't a get-rich-quick type of endeavor. This is get-rich-slowly, okay? And that's why you can search all your life, but you're not going to find that one variable that's going to unlock everything. It's putting the pieces together. And that's what we're going to help you do. Put those pieces together brick by brick. Okay. Now I'm going to talk about the market performance. I'm going to run down some show topics. But right after we answer our first question at 888-99-CHART. Steve, I wanted to ask you about that. Broadcom is a holding I have in a diversified account. I've had it for a while. And I was looking to add to my position. I have it for growth and income, and it's taken a pretty good haircut so far this year, and I wanted to get your opinion on an entry point to maybe buy some more shares. All right. AVGO is Broadcom, and this has uh, has pulled back a little bit as of late, but you know, earnings continue to go up. This is your – this is the perfect example of the type of company that isn't as sexy as the NVIDIAs of the world and, and the a- a- AMDs and talking about AI. But its business is so much better. doesn't have the amazing growth, but it's consistently profitable. It consistently grows that profit. 2016, it made $11.30. This year, it's supposed to make $37.46 a share and $41 plus next year. Modest amount of debt. The dividend yield is 2.2%, which doesn't sound amazing. Not as hot and sexy as that other stock that you looked at the other day that yielded 6.8% or 8.1%. But I almost guarantee you this company has done much, much better than whatever you were looking at a few days ago that had a much higher dividend. And that dividend has continued to go up. 2016, they paid $0.44 cents a share. Now, $4.60. This is your dividend grower. Good business. Now, I will say, it's in a consolidation phase. It's pulling back. Where would I buy it? Right around $700 per share. It's at $8.44 now. That'd be great support. Not as good all the way down there. Maybe not. Certainly, no guarantee it gets there. But that would be major support. Is it undervalued? No, 
I wouldn't say it's undervalued. It's probably fairly valued around these levels, around $844 per share. Another example of a company, people might say, oh, it's trading $844 per share. That's really expensive. I want to buy the company that's trading at $12 or $32. It's cheaper. Uh Uh-uh. Not the way to look at these things. It's always in relation to earnings, sales, free cash flow, et cetera. And it has a solid balance sheet. So I love this call, not because I love Broadcom at these levels. It's, it's fine. But I just like the company. So I would buy more if it gets below, say, seven, six, 770 in that range. That's the first area that I would start to pick up more shares of Broadcom. All right. Thanks for the call. Now let's pivot over to another question this time, a live caller. And this is Jeff in Kentucky. Let's talk about Dollar General. Hey, thanks a lot for taking my call. I, you know, I apologize in advance if others have inquired about this. Um, no problem. I used to, uh, just, you know, for a long time, uh, since high school, um, I've usually just invested in index funds or ETFs. But once in a while, I'll pick up a stock of a company I know that's a solid company that's just seen better days. And obviously Dollar General over the years has had really good returns and over the years, but this dip is like this, this, this is almost like it's fallen off a cliff. So I'm curious in your professional expertise, where do we see this company going? Is it, is it still a little bit more for a free fall or is it, what's, what's a good t- like number to look at to maybe start buying again? And then also maybe your outlook on the company itself. Is there any major changes that needs to undergo to see past profitability as it once had? Oh, this is a very interesting one because you're, you're correct. Longer term, their business is pretty good. Turn equity 36% now, which is right around its longer term average. It has been going up over the years, but even 15 when uh, it wasn't nearly as big as it is now, it was had a turn equity around 20%. So certainly it is, like you said, a, a good business, but it has been in a free fall. And I will say the next major support is right around $112 per share. Right now it's at 123, 123. But what's interesting here is I, I need to look deeper in this because I, ha- I haven't, frankly, just because the technicals are really, really bad. The, uh, this is a relative strength of nine Nine. Anytime you have relative strength in the single digits, you know it's doing pretty bad. They do have a lot of debt in their balance sheet. I think that's one issue. And you know what is what it what is the issue here? Do you know why this has fallen so much? Is there is it just an earnings downgrade issue? Um. Well. Honestly, uh, if you've ever shopped at one lately, they're, they're, the, there's high turnover of employees. I think their business model is just, I don't know, there's been, it's been one of those stores where there's been a lot of theft uh, mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. Um, and I think that w- in regards to the supply chain, they, they've had a lot, of, lot more issues with that uh, versus other companies. I know a lot of companies have had issues with it, but it seems to me their management um, – have made some wrong decisions, but I've, I've honestly haven't dived in deep to really like look at all the facets of why it's, you know, why it's taken such a beating. Um, yeah. It, it, it makes so. sense that their earnings are, are under pressure. The 
the lower income people tend to shop at these dollar stores and they're the ones that benefited the most from the COVID stimulus packages with money just going to, you know, every household and they have a high marginal propensity to spend. And so earnings went from $6.73 in 2020 all the way to over $10 the last three years. And now it's supposed to be $7.91 down 26% this year and then $8.67 next year. But those earnings estimates continue to go down. And with cost pressures on both the product side and employees having to pay employees more, uh, their margins are getting pressured. And that's the real issue here. Where will that stabilize? Can management stabilize it? Can management stabilize their market share? That is a big question. And I would need to see a little bit more, I would need to see a little bit more indication that that is true, that they have the ability to turn the theft issue around, stabilize profitability, et cetera. Until then, just on the watch list. I like what you're looking at. I like that you're looking at companies that long-term have good business models that are going through a bit of a rough time, but likely will stabilize in the long-term. And I think that's true here, but it, in, it will likely continue to go down until they stabilize it because they have enough debt to where if they don't stabilize it, this could be a bankrupt company at some point. So to me, it's still a TBD, still on the sideline. If the, this gets above maybe the 50-day moving average, that's when I would start to think about it. Get some sort of technical reversal, that's when I would start to think about it. But now it's on the sideline. It's on the watch list. The technicals are too bad. The earnings trends are too bad. And you don't want to catch that falling knife. But I like what you're looking at as a potential buy eventually. So keep monitoring it. All right. Now we have a lot of ground to cover in the next 45 minutes. And let's talk about what I have planned. One is in regards to how safe is gold? Gold as an investment. A lot of people like owning gold, and we're going to look at some data about volatility and returns and help you understand that in context. Also, we're going to look at how the banks have managed through this crisis. We had a banking crisis about six months ago now. And what have they done to shore up their balance sheets? Hint, brokered deposits. So we're going to look at that story. Also, interest rates are up and companies need to borrow. Some of them, not a lot of them, but some of them do. And how, what, what type of rates are they borrowing at? How is that affecting earnings, et cetera? And then lastly, treasury issuance, sorry, sorry, treasury, treasury interest and their taxability. And the type of government money market funds you might own and how much of those are the interest is tax free on a state level. It's always taxed federally, but in state level, sometimes it's not fully tax free. So we're going to look at that story. I also have some voice bank questions. One is in regards to PDI and CEIX and a perspective segment in regards to market timing scandal of 2003. <clears throat> And now let's get into the market performance for today. You had a pretty mixed day overall. You had large caps down about half a percent. 
and small caps were up slightly, just a bit. Value really outperformed today. In the Morningstar style box, all of the small, mid, and large were up, whereas the growth side was all, were all, all down. And large cap growth was down the most, down 1% overall for large cap growth. You had some uh, big movers both ways, but mainly those large cap uh, growth names were uh, the big losers after trying to break out. We had, we've gone through this period right now over the past, what are you going, over three months now, June, July, August, half of September, where that momentum in the beginning of the year of growth versus value has started to wane. And you try to get a, a breakout in value over growth. Sorry, growth over value over the past few weeks. And that started to reverse today. So interesting uh, to, to make note of that. We had Apple announcing the iPhone. That was down about 2%. Maybe that was the leader of it. But overall, you just had a very mixed day. Uh, in, in the markets, and uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow. All right, now we go to break. Let me ask you if you have heard about the Invest Talk Classroom series. Well, it's a new feature, and it's free, streaming over on our YouTube channel. And episode six is up. It's called Value Traps. Many people are chasing yields. Sometimes that can work out in investors' favor. However, more often than not, chasing yield will not be beneficial. So the conversation offers insights while it explores the pitfalls of value traps. So search Invest Talk Classroom Series over on YouTube. Now, my phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99 CHART. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. All right, let's go to our next caller at 888 99Chart. Oh, Kubir? And Hayward, how you doing, Kubir? I'm, I'm doing good. Thank you, Steve. And, uh, uh, and your partner forgot his name. You guys are helping us so much. I want to thank you first uh, and appreciate your help you offering us. And I have a question. Uh, I own Target about 400 stocks, and I bought it three, four months back at about 145, and it's stuck in 120s. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether should I sell it and take my loss and uh, start go somewhere else. 
This is a simple one. I think it's going down. The technicals are terrible. The trends and earnings are terrible. Uh, you don't want to be trying to catch this. I would sell it and move on. That simple. All right, we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime, leave your question on the Best Talk Voice Bank, or if you're listening to the live stream on AM 1220 in the Silicon Valley area, you can call now at 888 chart One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Now, my main focus point today looks into the story behind this question, how safe is gold? And for the first time in 10 years, Gallup poll respondents prefer gold to stocks when asked to name the best long-term investment. Now, anybody who's been in the markets for any length of time knows that equities typically do better than gold on a performance basis, return basis. But we also just went through a long period of positive equity returns. Now, if you go back to you know the depths of 08, 09, 2010, around that, that period, and you go back a decade, gold did better. So it does depend on kind of where you're at. But in most periods, equities are going to do better. But for a lot of people, precious metals help them sleep at night, owning some. But let's look at more than just the returns. Because as they say, past performance is not an indicator of future performance. And returns aren't the only, only thing you think about, you should think about. right? It's risk and reward. Returns are just reward. So like if you had two assets, one goes up 20%. And over that time period that you hold it, say a year, it's wildly volatile, but something else is up 18%. And it's very little volatility. For most people who have some level of conservativeness, they want something that they'd rather have the that one that's a little steadier because next year it might not be as good. And that volatility might cut the other way, right? So volatility is a very vital piece of the puzzle. Now, over the short term, say monthly standard deviation, it's a good way to measure short-term volatility. Gold is much riskier than intermediate treasuries, international stocks, and even U.S. stocks. But if you compare it to, say, technology stocks, technology stocks are actually more volatile on a monthly basis. But less volatile than, say, you know, the broad S&P. Right, so excuse me, the broad S&P is less volatile than gold. 
Now that's a one month basis. If you look more intermediate term, you know, it's more about, well, we'll have very protracted downturns. And we know that equities can certainly do that. And so having large 30, 40, 50 plus percent downdrafts, equities tend to do that more. And so while, once again, intermediate term, or sorry, short term, gold is, tends to be more volatile. Intermediate term, that tends to be equities. Now, long-term, as I said at the top, equities tend to do better. There are periods, once again, where gold cannot perform. But over, say, a 20-year period, the worst domestic equity return was 154%. That was the worst. Gold? You know, over 20-year period, it's been down. So generally, equities, once again, do better. And when you think about this, it's more of portfolio construction. How much do you want to hold and how long? Gold certainly be a good asset in the near term, especially during easing cycles by the Fed and central banks. And then the last factor is catastrophes. How much do you believe there would be a international economic catastrophe? Some people want to protect against that. Others don't. Different views. Nobody knows when there will be one. Nobody knows when there'll be a pandemic, a 9-11, a 1987, All of these are very unknowable. No, I would say there's there's always going to be a future calamity of some sort. Some of them are very beneficial to gold. Sometimes they're not. So to me, that's really the answer here. How much do you want to guard against some sort of catastrophic condition. Some will say, well, if you do, you probably want a physical goal. That's probably a decent way to look at it. But remember, this is looking at holding gold long, long term. Tactically, gold and silver can always be very beneficial at times. Now, this is Invest Talk. Now more than 55.6 million downloads thanks to you. My phone lines are open. Waiting for your call at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, It's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. 
Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hello, Steve or Justin. This is Bronx from New York. And today I'm calling about Console Energy, ticker symbol CEIX. For the past five quarters, it's had strong fundamentals and profitability. The company doesn't have any trouble paying its dividend given its low payout ratio and cash ratio. And the balance sheet shows it has net cash. My question relates to its valuation and sustainability. Do you believe it's cheap? And what are the risks it faces as a thermal coal company in the short to midterm? Thank you. And I'll be listening on the podcast. All right. Looking at console energy, CEIX is the symbol. And this is a producer and exporter of high BTU thermal coal. And probably out there, there is your coal you make steel with. And then there is the coal that you sell the power plants to make energy. And obviously here in the U.S., which we're trying to phase out coal, but we still use coal in, in many areas. And coal is easily exportable. So even if we're not using it here domestically, it can be shipped around the world. Now, there's a lot of stigma around investing in coal, especially thermal coal. And so it tends to trade at a pretty big discount, but that's why it is cheap. It's trading at $21, sorry, excuse me, trading at $95.34. Even after its recent run, it bottomed in March around four fifty bucks, and now it's at $95. So up over oh, nearly 100% in just a span of five months or so. Yields 3.4%. Earnings are supposed to be $21.85 this year. That's up from $13.07 last year. And earnings next year is supposed to be $17.88. So even forward-looking earnings, you're talking about five times. So it's cheap. It is cheap. There's obviously regulatory risk or that, that they'll be phased out even more than they already are, right? But at the end of the day, our demand for energy continues to go up. And across the board, when you're talking about oil, natural gas, uranium, and the, 
the ability to deploy clean energy infrastructure continues to be slow. Technicals are great. It is a bit overbought. So pull back into the 80s would be nice, but doesn't necessarily have to do that. I, I like this. You may not love coal, but the business is great. So I'm going to give console energy a thumbs up. Let's go to Grace in San Francisco. Let's talk about Nike. Hello. How you doing? Hey, how you doing, Grace? Hi. You want to talk about Nike? Yeah. Yeah, I want to talk about Nike. Uh, I have a position, Nike, as it's down for like 8%. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of wondering what, you know, because of China and the kind of stuff, what's your outlook on Nike? Should I continue to hold it? Should I buy more? Um, you know, I just want your opinion. Uh, I, I would sell it, frankly. I think the okay. issues in China are not going away. Mm-hmm. The business is, I think, relying a lot, way, way too much on legacy, selling Jordans and Air Force Ones, and isn't really innovating, frankly. And that's my issue here. I think they need to change up the organization, get back to their roots of supporting athletes, innovating for athletes, and they're just not doing that. And people were make people were buying a bunch of things during the pandemic, including shoes. And that's now reversing. So pre-pandemic, they're making two fifty. Last year, they made three dollars and twenty three cents. This year, they're supposed to grow earnings, but that continues to that those expectations continue to dwindle. Dwindle. So the technicals are bad. There's no way to put it than bad. Mm. And so it's likely headed to. 80, the minimum, maybe lower. It's a 96 and change now. And once again, they they rely a lot on China. And China's economy is struggling. So while I like the brand, I don't like the short to medium term trajectory of the business. Needs to be shaken up, needs to be turned around and... I would not hold it. I would move on and, and, and keep it on your watches because it is a good company, but it's still trading at 30 times earnings for a company who's looks like they're probably headed towards shrinking earnings eventually, you know, in the next couple of years. So I think this is headed to 80, probably lower. We'll see what they do, but uh, I would not be holding this. Thanks for the call. Now, my perspective today examines what has become known as the market timing scandal of 2003. So let me give you some background information. Market timing is a strategy. We know that is very difficult. And there's nothing illegal about market timing, however. This has been a a way for fund companies to kind of get a leg up to help people that do want to market time. And this was way back in 2003, so 20 years ago. And the mutual fund companies were lying to their investors, stating one thing in their prospectus and doing another. And that sort of behavior has always been illegal. 
Now, here's the background. September 3rd, 2003, so a little over 20 years ago, New York Attorney General Elliot Spitzer announced that he was investigating mutual fund companies for practicing practices that hurt small investors. And what they were doing is allowing special clients to make rapid mutual fund trades in violation of their prospectus at the expense of other fund investors. And at the time, the mutual fund industry was largely scandal-free. So this is one of the big first scandals in that industry. So they issued the complaint against Canary Capital Partners, LLC, charging them with late trading in collusion with Bank of America's nation funds. So what they did is they allowed their clients to purchase after the market had closed at the closing price of the day. So you know there's market moves after hours? Might be up, might be down. It allowed though their, their special clients to buy it at the closing price. So they know, hey, it's moved after hours. It's likely going to open up or down, right? Maybe it moved up after hours. We're buying it basically at a lower price. And so they charged the major mutual fund groups such as Janus, Bank One Group, and Strong Capital Management to uh, facilitating market timing trading in favor of clients. More than 25 companies were implicated. And eventually settlements, too complicated to talk about. But overall, the, the settlement enforcement action against Bear Stearns charged Bear Stearns with securities fraud for facilitating unlawful late trading and deceptive market timing and mutual funds uh, of mutual funds by its customers and its customers' brokers. So this is kind of a red flag. Bear Stearns was the canary in the coal mine in 2007. And it just goes to show you that when you see these Wall Street companies acting improperly, that is a structural issue with the with the, the people within the organization, the leadership. And Bear Stearns was ordered to pay $250 million, $90 million penalty, and $160 million in making up the losses for those investors. So the lesson here is there's always going to be scandals on Wall Street. They're always going to put their clients first, not you. That's why if you ever get an IPO, Offering directly from a Wall Street firm, run. Because they're going to their clients first, their big clients first. And when you see an enforcement action against a company that maybe your money is held at, you're investing in in a fund or something like that, run. Because there's deeper issues within the business. And they're probably doing other improper things. Maybe the detriment to you. Now let's grab another caller question from 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve or Justin. Just calling about two PIMCO um, funds that I was looking into. One is PDI. Second one is PTI. Um, if it's an investor, I think these are covered call strategies. They have high expense ratios. Wanted to see what you thought of them, the funds. I uh, appreciate everything you do. Thanks for uh, the podcast. Looking forward to hearing your answer. Thank you. 
All right, PDI, I didn't see the PTI, but PDI is the PIMCO Dynamic Income Fund. Let's take a look at the portfolio overall. Just pulling this up here. All right, no, this is not a cover call fund. This is in fixed income. It goes long and short. It's very levered. And what you're doing here is you are, you're chasing yield. You're chasing yield 15.1%. And this just continues to go down and down and down. Now, yeah, you're getting your 15% as it's going down, but in 2020, three years ago, it was trading at $33. Now it's $17.51. So it's been cut in half. You might have received your 15% over those. Three years, three and a half years, right? 15% a year, 45%. So what, you're, you're roughly flat? Maybe slightly up? But you're paying taxes on that. You have a lot of volatility. You're just chasing yield here. There's nothing interesting or exciting about this name. You just buy a bond fund. You can do much better. I really don't like these. Closed-end funds. That's what this is. A closed-end fund with leverage. Because it cuts both, both ways. And they have to maintain a certain, certain leverage. And when the underlying assets like bonds go down, like last year when insurance went up, they have to maintain the leverage. What do they have to do? They have to sell the bonds. Probably at a loss. So while you think you're getting a sweet deal of 15%, you're not. You're also getting charged a fee to manage it. See what that is, PDI. Three point, sorry, 5.1%. Woo. 5% is the total expense ratio. This is the perfect example of chasing yield. High fees, poor performance, leverage, the antithesis of a good investment. All right, now let's touch a bit on banks. We're six months out from the banking crisis. And as of mid-year, Zion Bank Corp recorded, reported holdings of $8.5 billion in what is called broker deposits. And broker deposits are pretty much exactly what you think they are. Bank goes to a third party, such as Morgan Stanley, Fidelity, to find brokerage customers that want to look for high-yield CDs. And collectively, U.S. banks hold more than $1.2 trillion in broker deposits, an 86% increase from a year ago. This is all to shore up their balance sheets. Broker deposits nearly doubled at Citizens Bank and Ally Financial. They're up even more at companies like M&T Bank, Key Corp, Comerica. And overall, there's still a small percentage of total deposits of these banks, but certain banks have huge increases in their broker deposits. Valley National, Associated, 
let's see what else. Western Alliance. They're all up huge since the banking crisis. And what does this do? Well, it squeezes their margins. These are expensive ways to get deposits. Now, shares up the balance sheet. Make sure that they're, they don't uh, wind up in the hands of regulators, that they're not like Silicon Valley Bank Corp. But earnings get pressured. Remember, banks make a spread between the cost of deposits and the cost they earn on their loans. And this is why S&P and Moody's downgraded a number of the regional banks because they're relying a lot more on these broker deposits. And they view them as lower quality because once the CDs mature, are they really going to stay? No, they're going to look for the best return. And if that bank isn't offering the best return anymore, guess what? Their money's going elsewhere. So broker deposits are a quick way to raise funds, put a Band-Aid on the issue, but the underlying problems at these banks are largely the same. They have too many long-duration assets, earning too little, and that is ultimately going to hurt profitability and probably force them into selling to other larger banks that have steadier deposit bases. All right, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here, help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief risk alize quiz. Hello, Steve, Justin, and Luke. Kay here from New York. Just calling about MJJ. I heard a caller mention it last week. I liked prospects, so I bought into it. And as of Monday, September 11th, it was a huge. You can just put your input as to why, what you think about the future, and if I should sell and take some profits. Thank you. We're looking at MJ, not MJJ, and this is the basically the marijuana ETF. And it's been in the doldrums for a couple of years now, bottoming around 270 or so just a few weeks ago. Now we're at $4.25. That's down 37 cents today on September 12th. So a bit of a pullback, but didn't erase all the gains from yesterday, which were, which were pretty big. And this is all a play on legalization of cannabis or rescheduling. I don't say legalization, rescheduling cannabis from schedule one to schedule, I believe three is what the recommendation was to the white house. Now, will they do it? Well, we, sh- we shall see. We've talked, they've talked about it for a long time and it has not happened. So this is all up to you, whether you think it's going to happen. I think eventually it will. It's probably going to come from Democratic White House, you know, Democrat White House as opposed to Republican White House. So if it's going to happen, you know, Biden only has, what, about 15, 16 months left in office. This would be one thing to do. 
And if it happens, this is going to go much higher. If it's another one of those head fakes, you know, the headlines that doesn't really go anywhere, then, you know, this is something that uh, will sink back down probably $3 or lower. So that's your play here. There's no fundamental basis. It's all about the ebbs and flows of the hype around the cannabis space. And you're starting to get that hype to come back. And I think that hype could go a lot farther. So frankly, I'd hold it. So I do think there will be something. And this will explode if there is that rescheduling. But it's obviously a high risk. All right, let's touch on borrowing costs. Borrowing costs for corporations. And last Tuesday was a record-setting day for bond deals. 19 companies sold 47 bond tranches. Remember, a tranche is a a different, basically a different structure when the maturity is, et cetera, for a particular bond. And this is 19 companies in the investment-grade market. And that was a record from PitchBook since they started providing data back in 2012. And companies like Duke Energy, Southern Company, Philip Morris, all among these investment-grade borrowers. And this was in the midst of interest rates reaching the highest levels of the year. And it was $38 billion worth of deals, the best sales deal day since April of 2020. And that was when the Fed had cut rates near zero. Now, what did they pay? On average, these firms paid 5.7% to borrow. Levels they haven't seen since the financial crisis. Now, the week after Labor Day is typically one of the busiest days of the year for borrowing because Wall Street returns from vacation and a lot more more trading activity happens. Now, as of Thursday, the 10-year Treasury yield was at 4.3%. That's up from 3.95% just at the end of July. So about a month and a half ago. And what's happening is borrowers are realizing that rates aren't going lower anytime soon. So if you're going to borrow, might as well do it now because rates might go even higher. And this is going to hit the bottom line of companies that have a lot of debt. And it'll hurt even more if you aren't a investment-grade borrower. These are all investment-grade companies. Now, the average coupon in the Bloomberg Investment-Grade Corporate Bond Index is about 3.95%. So on average, they're borrowing about two percentage points higher than where they are now, or where they typically are borrowing. And spreads are pretty narrow right now, meaning... The premium over treasury yields is only a little over 1%, which is pretty low. And so this is something that is probably going to continue and eventually at the bottom lines of or the bottom line of all these uh, these corporations with a lot of debt. All right, I'm Justin Klein, please another Best Talk program. Stephen, I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, 
It's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.